the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kehiwat. Mark 2, verse 23. The Bible says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them that were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And he entered again to the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him, on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto him, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. As we have looked at these spiritual lessons from the servant, we've seen in verses 1 through 12, the servant's power to provide forgiveness. And then in verses 13 through 22, we saw the servant's power to provide fulfillment. Today, as we continue in the series, we will look at the servant's power to provide freedom. The servant's power to provide freedom. How many of you have ever heard the term legalism? The definition of legalism is a strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law or to a religious or moral code. In the Bible, it is a contemptible concept that by obeying um, the strict letter of the law or by doing good works, one merits or earns salvation. It can be extended from behavior into a mindset that if one doesn't obey or adhere to a specific set of standards, then that person most likely isn't born again. I've been in ministries where they have looked at people that way. Legalists have a distorted belief that they are spiritually superior to those who do not obey as strictly as they do. They use terminology such as higher standards. But the question arises, 
who set those standards and who determines what is higher and what is lower. This was the mindset of the Pharisees. As this passage unfolds before us, we find that Jesus was walking through cornfields with his disciples on the Sabbath day. And as they traveled, some of the disciples began to pluck ears of corn. And apparently there were some Pharisees nearby that witnessed the disciples taking the corn and immediately they became critically judgmental. They began to accuse our Lord of violating the law by working on the Sabbath. They were more concerned about breaking a Jewish tradition detailed in the law of Moses than the needs of hungry men being met. Sadly, this mentality pervades Christianity and in many circles. There are circles that are more concerned about outward standards, an outward behavior, a particular version of scripture, or a company people keep than they are the true heart of the gospel message. The truth is that regardless of what we do, what we wear, what we've done, people will always find a reason to criticize. Consider how Jesus may have felt in this time. Everywhere he went, he was doing wonderful things. He was performing miracles. He was bringing people to himself. Yet the scribes, Sadducees, Pharisees, priests, and Herodians, and even his own brothers and sisters criticized him. However, despite his critics, Jesus remained focused on his mission, and he would not let the reproach or the rebuff of the haters distract him from doing the will of his father. Jesus never violated the laws of the covenant. But the Pharisees, scribes, rabbis, and other religious leaders took it upon themselves to add layers of laws on top of the Mosaic law. Jesus understood better than anyone that the law was not given to burden the people of God. The law was given as a schoolmaster to teach us that we are sinners incapable of keeping the entire law, which then points us to our need of a Savior who is Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 24 tells us, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus taught the doctrine of soul liberty. That believers in him are no longer under the law, but under grace. He said, critical, judgmental minds reeling at his teaching of being free from the law. And I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, notice, first of all, the criticism of the religious. The criticism of the religious. Look at verses 23 and 24 of Mark chapter 2. It says, and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? In verse 23, we read the account of the disciples walking through the field of grain on the Sabbath. And because they were hungry, they plucked some of the ripe grain, presumably rubbed the chaff off the grain with their hands and ate it. The law allowed people to pluck grain 
and eat it from a field as long as they did not use anything other than their bare hands to obtain the grain. This was a provision in the law intended to provide a sustenance for people journeying through the land. As such, there was absolutely nothing wrong with the disciples plucking and eating grain as they were walking through the field. However, it was the Sabbath day. So, in verse number 24, the Pharisaicals began to um, see Jesus Christ, and they lobbed this critical question at Jesus. Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Were the disciples violating the Sabbath law? According to the New Testament commentary, William Hendrickson, he noted that the rabbis had drawn up a category of 39 principal works divided into six minor categories of works that were forbidden on the Sabbath. Including on this list was plucking heads of grain because according to them, it was a form of reaping and reaping was work and working on the Sabbath was a violation of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Pharisees thought that they caught Jesus in disobedience to the law. They wanted to trap this rabbi who was teaching the Jews a different mindset. However, not only do we see the criticism of the religious, but secondly, I want you to see the correction of the Redeemer in verse 25 through 28. In verse number 25, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did? When he had need and was unhungered, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests and gave also to them that were with him. And he saith unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man is Lord also of the Sabbath. This opening phrase that we find that Jesus said in verse number 25, have you never read, is stated very pointedly in the original language. It's as if Jesus was saying, you mean to tell me that with all your studies of the scriptures and all your vast knowledge of the law, you haven't read what David and his men did when they were hungry on the Sabbath day? The Pharisees were proud individuals who prided themselves in knowing the law. They thought themselves to be superior to the rest of the community because they knew the law. However, Jesus made it clear that they completely missed a vital principle of freedom that God provides. He referenced 1 Samuel 21, verse number 6, which speaks of when David and his men were on the run from Saul and they were hungry. They came to a tabernacle where the only food at hand was the showbread that was placed on the table before the Lord. The freshly baked bread was there every Sabbath, and only the priests, the descendants of Aaron, could partake of the bread that was removed from the table. Now, there were 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel, but apparently the priests had already eaten seven of the loaves, leaving five. David asked for the loaves, which would violate the law found in Leviticus 24, verse number 9, stating that the showbread shall be for Aaron and for his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute, the scripture says. 
the priest, Abiathar, was uh, hesitant, but he asked David if he and his men had at least kept themselves from activities that would defile them. David assured the priest that they had, and the priest gave David and his men liberty to eat the five loaves of bread. What point was Jesus making from this example? In David's example, it was also the Sabbath. Break, uh, because the priests had removed the old bread and replaced it with fresh bread. Under the law, neither David nor his men were allowed to eat the old bread removed from the table, but they did. Jesus then makes his point in verses 27 and 28 by adding, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. In this statement, Jesus was making it a crucial point concerning the Sabbath. To begin, he was stating that God created man first and then afterward established the Sabbath. God did not create humanity to serve the Sabbath, but God created the Sabbath as a day of rest for humanity. God was making it clear that the needs of man took precedence over these laws. That's why he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath was never to be a day filled with multiple minutiae of man-made laws that made the entire day one long list of don't do this and don't do that. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Elevating any day of the week to the status of a deity to be worshipped rather than a day to benefit believers is a distortion of what God intended. Now, please do not get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We are to worship God on a day of rest. And the first day of the week was when the New Testament church did that, which is why we worship on Sunday. We should give God one day where we devote to him. Although, A.W. Tozer said, if you do not worship God seven days a week, you don't worship God one day a week. That means if you don't spend time worshiping him in the word of God and in praying throughout the week, just coming to Sunday as a sacrament or coming to church on Sunday so that you can appease your conscience, that is exactly what the Pharisees and Sadducees and these priests were doing. They were elevating a day of the week. Coming together, assembling together one another one day a week is one way we should encourage one another and exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching Hebrews 10.25 tells us. The Pharisees and rabbis made the Sabbath a burdensome day by their never-ending addendums. Like how many paces a Jew were, was allowed to walk a day that day. That's the kind of regulations they put on it. And it robbed the Sabbath of its true purpose as a day of rest and enjoyment. Sadly, many Christians and churches are like the Pharisees who get hung up on a day of the week on the, or on the, that practice of the day of the week rather than the reason for the day. 
And while God expects us to be in our place and assemble together on the first day of the week in worship to, of him, there are some legitimate reasons why some are not able to attend. And there are some people say, well, you don't go to church on Sunday. Well, then you're not right with God. Well, some people have to work. The pastor works on Sunday. Sunday school workers work on Sunday. There are some emergency first responders that have to work. Hospital personnel have to work. Those in the military have to work. But if we attach a spiritual condemnation upon them, that's bondage and not freedom. You see, that day of worship ought to be something that is pleasant and freeing that we should be able to do. There were times when we had our services and and we first actually experienced this Sunday school, Sunday morning, a little bit of a break, and then the Sunday afternoon or the, the third service, and then have the rest of the day offer yourself to rest or enjoy. When we first that when we first experienced that in Wisconsin 15, 16 years ago while we were in evangelism, our mindset was so set on that strict Sunday night service that we felt guilty that we weren't going to church that Sunday night. But then I began to think and pray and and think, you know, this is exactly how the New Testament church really was. Why should we feel guilty? We have spent time worshiping God already. And so we get to spend the rest of the day enjoying his day. And that's what it's all about, enjoying the freedom that God has given to us. On this day, our worship is a witness to our wonderful walk with God all throughout the week. But if we think we live, we can live however we want for six days and then spend one hour a week on a church pew to bail us out. We're coming to church for all the wrong reasons. If we confuse religious rituals for a right relationship with God, then our religion has become a spiritual bondage pulling us down rather than true worship, lifting us up and pulling us out. Not only do we see the criticism of the religious and the correction of the Redeemer, but thirdly, I want you to go to chapter number three. Chapter number three in the first five verses. We see the callousness of the religious. The callousness of the religious. It says, And he entered again unto the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether... He would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he saith unto, him, to, unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he saith unto him, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. On that same Sabbath day, Jesus went into a synagogue to worship. He didn't say, just because you have freedom, you don't go worship. Because you have freedom, you love to worship. So he was there to worship. And while he was there, he deliberately healed a man. Now, certainly he could have waited one more day. But once again, he wanted to challenge the legalistic, pharisaical traditions. And this time, the Pharisees were expecting him to heal, and they were there watching him, expecting him, waiting for him to make a mistake. 
How many times do we come to church doing the same thing? I'm going to wait for the song leader to make a mistake. And I'm going to be critical. I'm going to wait for that pastor to to say something wrong. I'm going to go right after him. We get that way, folks. People get that way. Just waiting for the moment for that person to make a mistake because we feel we are superior than they are. This time, the Pharisees were there waiting. And our Lord asks a question in verse number four. He said, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And interestingly enough, they never answered his question. Why? Because evil is at work every day, including the Sabbath day. Pain happens every day, including the Sabbath day. Hurts, distresses, trials, tribulations, and storms, rains come also on the Sabbath day. And so does death. Death is always at work. But that shouldn't hinder us from seeking to do what's right and save a life or help somebody. Verse number five, Jesus sees the hardening of their hearts. Did you see that? He said, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. They were calloused to people's needs. They were more concerned of the traditions rather than being rejoicing and celebrating that somebody got healed. And this made Jesus angry. As I studied this, you know, it didn't hit me until I got to verse number five that he looked around about them with anger. Jesus was filled with righteous indignation. You know, our Lord never became angry at the publicans and sinners, but he did express anger toward the self-righteous Pharisees. He even overthrew tables. These self-righteous hypocrites were so callous toward men that they would rather protect their traditions than to see a man live a joyful life. Does this mean then that the law is no more applicable to us? No. Romans 3.31 says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Galatians 3.21, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which would have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it's not. Righteousness is not by the law. I think of the words of that song. Free from the law, O happy condition. Jesus hath bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Now we are free. There's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come unto me, O hear his sweet call. Come and he saves us once for all. Once for all, O sinner, receive it. Once for all, O friend, now believe it. Cling to the cross, the burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Secondly, I want you to see that what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary provides us freedom from the constriction of the law. From the constriction of the law. Galatians 5.1, the Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again by the yoke 
of bondage. Being free from the constriction of the law gives us individual soul liberty. Every individual, being a believer or an unbeliever, has the freedom to choose what his conscience or soul dictates is right in the religious realm according to scriptural principles. That's what individual soul liberty is. If it's in violation of scripture, then it's sin, not liberty. Soul liberty asks the believer to accept responsibility for his own actions and not to try to force anyone else to do or believe anything contrary to his own conscience. Romans chapter 14, verse number 5b, the latter part of the verse says, Let every man be fully persuaded in, does anyone know the last part of that verse? His own mind. We must be fully persuaded in our own mind, not the pastor's mind, not the church's mind, although there are some organizational standards that we have and that we should submit to. But what you do in your home, how you live, needs to be based upon Scripture, and you should be fully persuaded in your own mind. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Being freed from the constriction of the law doesn't justify us to disobey God. Believers must still act according to the principles of Scripture and honor the doctrinal position of the Bible-believing church that he belongs to and serves in. All that should work together. And here's another principle of liberty by which we should live. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. Romans 14, 23 says, And he that doubted is da- doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Paul spent the first three chapters of Galatians dealing with it. However, the conclusion is this, Galatians chapter 5, verse number 14, For, the law, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Christ frees us from the condemnation and curse of the law. And because of Jesus Christ, he also frees us, provides freedom from the constriction of the law. If you want to put yourself under the bondage of any law, love one another. You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kehiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.